Good morning, everybody. It is good to see you guys. That was hilarious. So everybody, wave at me. Can you hear? Can you hear? Yes, yes, it is so good. I don't know. I want to make sure everybody got the word that communion stuff is there. You, It is self-serve today. You can get the lyric sheets there as well, just to make sure everybody knows. And I think we are good. The offering basket is also over there. There's envelopes stuck under the basket if you need that. But guys, we are together. Amen. It has been a long, long time. I've seen a couple of young people that have grown big time. Most of the rest of you look the same. This absence of the absence makes the heart grow fonder, and it's so good to see everybody. Some people shrunk. Woo! <laughs> yes, it is good. But this is the day that the Lord has made, and let us rejoice and be glad. In it. We have an opportunity to worship a great God, and if it were 30 degrees and rainy, he's still just as worthy. But he has blessed us with an absolutely gorgeous day. To come together. Last week, it frosted at my house Sunday morning. Yeah. So we're grateful to be here together to worship a great God. And so let us just pray together, and then we will continue to worship. So let's pray. Father, we are so grateful to be yours, to have this tremendous opportunity to come outside. And, and Lord, all of the details that had to work to make this work like it is with sound stuff somebody having a, a trailer and a truck just incredible talents that can move outdoors and great weather father we thank you for this lord thank you for being worthy of all our worship so lord i pray that today as we worship you that lord you help it to well up in our hearts and to spill over with our lips with our steps as we obey you. Lord, thank you for this day. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Well, a lot has changed since I last spoke to you in person. But the last time I spoke to many of you, I said something about wearing your church pajamas. I am glad that you are not wearing your church pajamas today. And you know what? We can all just be involved together. I've seen it already. We can all just give each other virtual hugs today, right? And just have this great opportunity to worship. And I've spent the last whatever it's been, eight weeks or so, preaching while staring at the camera. And I'm glad that I can move my head and look at real people who respond. It is so good. And I'll tell you this, it's been pretty sweet that as I have gone through the, the books of the Bible and as we are, you know, in Kings today, it's been a trip how how God's timing has it. I don't know about you, but I was particularly grateful 
that last week we were not together because Amen. it was awkward going through Song of Solomon. Did anybody else feel that awkwardness? Yes. Yes. That was the only Sunday the boys were allowed to go play. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. I want to say a couple things. One, for you guys with children, there is some children's church material on the table right over here with everything else that you are welcome to go and, and pick up. Also, I know you've probably figured this out already, but the bathrooms inside, they're open, and we wanted to make sure that everybody was safe, but also that we had what we needed available to you. So, I think that it's also very cool that today, as we look at, at 1 Kings chapter 8, what in the world would we possibly want to talk about today other than extravagant worship? And God, I've said this so many times, God has the whole thing rigged. He knows what we need to hear today. And I'm grateful that we're not talking about Song of Solomon today. So, if you would, find 1 Kings chapter 8 in your Bible, if you would, or on your phone. How many of you have been hanging in there with reading through the Bible? Yes, at least nine of you. Very good. Very good. Well, as we... There we go. I'm cutting the wind off of the, the mic. Just don't cut the other one. Uh, let's start the whistle. Well, yes, it Stop it. Sorry. <laughs> I haven't been around you in a while. That is true. Y'all, it has been a long time. Yes, it has. There has been people here I have not seen since it was like winter. Yes. And it is so cool. I said something earlier today. Some of you guys that, um, that were made for December, you're probably not enjoying the weather right now, but I hope this makes you rest easy. It's my time now. I was built for summer in the Amazon, and I am loving it. And so as you are hating all of nature right now, you can throw me in the pile of things to hate in the summer because, dude, I am loving the heat. So 1 Kings, what's going on here? King David, God blessed King David and made promises to him that he would keep his, his line going forever. After, after David died, God raised up Solomon, his son. But David wanted to build a temple for God. He wanted to build a place for God to dwell and for God's people to worship God. But God told him no. God led David to set it up, to start collecting the stuff, but led Solomon to actually build the temple. And it took a while, but they had the opportunity to have their first Sunday, so to speak, their first opportunity to meet in the temple and to worship there. And so what we have here is that first picture of when King Solomon had the ark brought into the temple. The ark coming into the temple was a big deal. It wasn't 
It wouldn't be like us bringing the chairs in, the ark, God set it aside, and it was a very important piece, symbolic of his place in the temple to worship. And so, 1 Kings chapter 8, I'm going to read the first 13 verses. And so, read along with me. Then King Solomon summoned into his presence at Jerusalem the elders of Israel, all the heads of the tribes and the chiefs of the Israelite family to bring up the Ark of the Lord's Covenant from Zion, the city of David. All the men of Israel came together to King Solomon at the time of the festival in the month of Ethanim, the seventh month. When all the elders of Israel had arrived, the priests took up the Ark and they brought up the Ark of the Lord and the tent of meeting and all the sacred furnishings in it. The priests and the Levites carried them up. And King Solomon and the entire assembly of Israel that had gathered about him were before the ark, sacrificing so many sheep and cattle that they could not be recorded or counted. The priest then brought the ark of the Lord's covenant to its place in the inner sanctuary of the temple, the most holy place, and put it beneath the wings of the cherubim. The cherubim spread their wings over the place of the ark and overshadowed the ark and its carrying poles. These poles were so long that their ends could not be seen from the holy place in front of the inner sanctuary, but not from outside the holy place. And they are still there today. I'm going to pause for a minute. I am betting that they were still there to the day of the writing because nobody was willing to go there to get them because they remembered what happened when you touched the ark. Or when you went into the holy place and you yourself weren't the high priest on the day of atonement. And so they were saying, I'm not getting it. You get it. I'm not getting it. You get it. And so there they stayed. So there was nothing in the ark except the two stone tablets that Moses had placed in it at Horeb, where the Lord made a covenant with the Israelites after they came out of Egypt. When the priest withdrew, from the holy place, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord. And the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled his temple. Then Solomon said, The Lord has said that he would dwell in a dark cloud. And I have, I have indeed built a magnificent temple for you, a place for you to dwell forever. And so here we have the text. That is an important text for that day. A day where it's kind of like today. It had been a long time since they had this place. It's been a long time since they had a, a place. In fact, really never. They had a tent, the tent of meeting, but they never had a permanent building since God made them his people. And so, this is a big deal. And so, let's fast forward to where we are now. You think about what we were made for. We were made to worship God forever. We were created to worship Him forever. That is what we are here to do. And you think about when somebody asked you at Walmart, back when we could still talk to people at Walmart... When they were to ask you, what do you do? 
we always think, well, I'm a pastor, or I'm a farmer, or I do this, or I'm a nurse, or I'm a teacher. And we think about what we do. But that's not what we were created for. We were created to bring God glory and worship Him forever. And so, Solomon took seven years to build the temple. Temple's done. They're going into it, but I want to, to first take a little step back and look at the picture of worship in redemptive history. The reign of Solomon signals the climax of Old Testament history. It had built to this point. This was the pinnacle. Solomon couldn't have known it. <clears throat> Solomon just knew it was awesome and God had blessed and it had never been better. Unfortunately... That was as good as it was going to get for Solomon because it went downhill by the end of his reign. And at the very heart of this reign was the worship of God. Worship was central. And up until this point, we see it throughout history. Worship was evident in the garden. It was prominent in the law from Exodus 15 forward. We see it was anticipated in the prophets going through the prophets, the major prophets, the minor prophets, we see that they were anticipating what was to come. But it was all surrounding worship. In the New Testament, worship is elevated. It's brought to an even higher point as Jesus takes the scene. But then, Revelation 22, the passage that I am going to wear out as we go through the books of the Bible that day, worship is unhindered in the end. It's unhindered in heaven because no more death, no more sin. The effects of sin are gone face to face with Christ. And so the implication is clear. If worship is central in the Bible, then certainly it must be central in our lives. Certainly it must be central to you and to me as those who are created to bring God glory forever. Does that make sense? Amen. And so, when you think about heaven, you think about what is to come in heaven, what do you think about? What do you think that we will do? I know that we think about what we will see. Perhaps we think about seeing the angels or seeing your dearly departed grandmother or those type of things, or will we fall to our knees, as I can only imagine says, but what will we do? We will worship this God forever. And I've always thought that my thoughts toward worshiping God forever is a good indicator of my relationship with God now. If I think forever, for the rest of forever, I am going to worship God, and that brings bad thoughts to me, like, dude, really? It's going to be boring, the same thing all the time, then that says that I don't know this God like I will know this God, because this God is so awesome that more and more will be revealed of his awesomeness as we are able to take it in heaven, and so... Are we worshiping God this way? I think it is sweet 
a picture that we see in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, sacrifices were big. Sacrifices, you, you went to worship with a sacrifice. And whether it was a, a sin offering to prepare you for worship, or whether it was some sort of a blessing offering over and beyond, when you went to worship, you bring things and lay it at the altar. But now, we are the things. We worship God by laying ourselves at his feet. We worship God by being the sacrifices. Romans, Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, Make your body living sacrifices, holy and devoted to God. This is our spiritual act of worship. And so, worship. As we come here today... We were drawn here because we could be here. We were drawn here because we haven't seen each other in two months. But the reason we're here is to worship this great God. Jesus, he spoke to the Pharisees who were all about doing the right religious thing. And he said, with your lips, you are near me, but your hearts are far removed. In other words, you are talking the talk. You are saying the right things. But God, you really don't know me. You are not following me with your heart. And so I want us to, to see in our mind that this God that we come to worship, that we are privileged to do so. And I think that being away for a couple months is helping us to see this, that, man, we miss this. Not only do we miss each other, but this is more than a family reunion. We are worshiping our Father. And so, by word, as we see this in the text, let us just be in awe of the privilege that we have to sit in a parking lot and hear the word of the Lord be declared and descriptive of the God who made us, the God who saved us, the God who longs to save us if we do not know him yet. And so, let us ask the question, are we worshiping God this way? Are we worshiping God with our hearts? Are we worshiping with our lips only? And so this is a picture of worship in redemptive history. But let's look at the picture of worship in 1 Kings 8. There was extravagant worship. No expense was spared. None. No expense was, was spared. Anywhere there could be gold, there was gold. Could you imagine if that were the case at our church? Could you imagine gold doorknobs? If you go into the throne room, so to speak, at Abundant Hope, that the toilet seat, gold, everything, gold. The trash can lid, gold, everything. The little fire extinguisher things, in case of a fire, you break, gold, everything, gold. The mics that these guys are holding, gold, everything, gold. They spared no expense. Everything that could be gold was gold. If it couldn't be gold because it was made for fire, 
It was made of something that wouldn't melt at the same temperature as fire. There was an obscene amount of gold, tons of gold in this temple. And so nothing, nothing was spared. And they had the best builders. They didn't go on Yelp or somewhere and look for the cheapest one. They didn't put a in search of, you know, does anybody have a cousin that can build stuff, you know, kind of on the cheap? They got the best in the known world. It took seven years to do it. And you know, in Scripture, it's never recorded that somebody went and said, you know, come on, guys. Come on, can you go faster? Could you cut that corner? Let's go. We need to do this. Our public's waiting. The ads are ready to run on Facebook. We've got to get this thing online. Best builders, the best materials. And they went all out in the dedication of the temple. All the energy was spent. And so all the people were present. All the people. A lot of people. And so they met for seven days. Seven days. Y'all were here an hour and a half, two hours. Seven days. And they sacrificed so much that they couldn't even count it. Now let me just remind us all that they counted how much gold was given. They counted how much silver was given, how much iron was given, because those things were countable. They did not count all of the creatures that died because there were too many to be counted. And we know that there were many priests who were sacrificing the animals. But for the sake of, of my beginner math, if they were together for a week, all the animals that they sacrificed, they would have had, if they had only one priest to make the math simple, they would have had to make a sacrifice every four seconds for a week. Every four seconds to sacrifice the number of animals that we did hear about. And so this is an extravagant worship. But this, this worship was for an extravagant God. And God shows extravagant grace by dwelling with his people. He made this place for himself to dwell. But let's back up a, a, just a step and think about it. Why did God dwell there? Why did he say that I will dwell in this place? Was it because David was a good guy, a man after God's own heart? Was it because his people were particularly good looking or good at obedience? No, he did it because he wanted to, out of his grace. He did it, and he, he dwells with us instead of killing us for the same reason, because of his incredible grace. And then, I think, too, that God shows extravagant faithfulness by fulfilling his word. He told them that he would continue 
keep a line, the line of David would continue. And God shows his faithfulness to his word in this. Chapter 8, verse 23. says, O Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth below. You who keep your covenant of love with your servants, who continue wholeheartedly in your way. You have kept your promise to your servant David, my father. With your mouth you have promised, and with your hand you have fulfilled it. God made a promise, and he kept his promise. And so this extravagant God is extravagantly gracious. He is extravagantly faithful, but also he shows extravagant mercy in forgiving their sin. And all throughout this text, verse 29 and 30, 34, 36, 39, verse 49 and 50, he speaks about forgiving their sin. He speaks about their eyes being on him, him being, or them sacrificing and him forgiving their sin. And again, just a step back, when they killed an animal and sacrificed it on the altar. This sacrifice did not magically forgive their sin. God forgave their sin. He forgave their sin, and he set these dead animals before them as just a mindset for them to understand that somebody, something is dying for your sin. But this is just a precursor. This is just to keep your mind on this because one day somebody is going to be the sacrifice to die once and for all. And so let's look at this picture of worship in the church, in the New Testament church. The Old Testament, we see only shadows of what we see in the New Testament and now, where we have an extravagant Savior, where Jesus is the embodiment of extravagant grace. And he dwells in us instead of in a building. And Jesus is the embodiment of God's extravagant faithfulness. Where from Genesis 3.15, where the, the heel crushes the serpent, but bru the serpent bruises the heel, we see God's faithfulness where he said a Messiah would come and a Messiah came. We see Jesus as the embodiment of God's extravagant mercy. Where Jesus now is the heart of the temple, where he lives in us and made us his temple. And so Jesus sat on David's throne. But now Jesus is in our heart as those who know him personally. And so we worship him and we behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But this, ex this extravagant Savior demands an extravagant response. It's not just that Jesus did all of these things and, and Jesus is God and God is all of these things and, and based on all this, we can just say, yeah, okay, that's great. I believe it demands heartfelt praise for God's faithfulness. And even in this, this text, 
listen to their response. Near the ending of this chapter, verse 54, when Solomon had finished all these prayers and supplications to the Lord, he rose from before the altar of the Lord where he had been kneeling with his hands spread out toward heaven. He stood and blessed the whole assembly of Israel in a loud voice saying, Praise be to the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel just as he promised. Not one word has failed of all the good promises he gave through his servant Moses. May the Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. May he never leave us or forsake us. May he turn our hearts to him to walk in his ways and to keep the commands, decrees, and regulations he gave our fathers. And may these words of mine, which I have prayed before the Lord, be near to the Lord our God day and night, that he may uphold the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel according to each day's need, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God and there is no other. But your hearts must be fully committed to the Lord our God to live by his decrees and obey his commands as at this time. And so this response, you know, the reality of this is that that God is worthy of our praise for his faithfulness. He is simply worthy. But the question is, are we proclaiming God's faithfulness on a regular basis? Solomon told his people, God's kept his word. God has kept his word. And we pray that God's going to keep us focused on him, that he's going to keep our eyes on him at all times, so that God will continue to bless us. And so our response should be heartfelt praise and wholehearted devotion for God's word. And God is worthy of our obedience. But we ask ourselves, are we obeying everything? Are we being obedient to God in every respect? for you and I pray that God is going to the, the answer he's not going to allow us to justify or lie to ourselves he's going to lead us to the truth and give us the heart to hear him are we praying for right hearts pursuing righteous lives because we are in continuous need for his mercy But one day there will be a Savior, a one-time sacrifice. We are on the other side of that. We've seen that the sacrifice has been made. And so let us be transformed so that what Solomon said will be true of us. Let us be transformed so all the world will know God. Are they on something else? Are they on someone else? Where are your affections today? And, and I think that this is a sweet, sweet opportunity for us to be together to worship and live out our affections for a God who is so affectionate for us that he sent his son to the cross. And he made this day, as we breathe in the next breath of his air, that if it stopped for just a second, to keep our minds focused on him. Over the last couple months, 
it hasn't been the easiest to focus on the things of God. We haven't been together to remind each other. There's been great communication amongst this faith family. I have loved hearing the stories of how you have checked on each other, helped on e helped each other with things, and gone to each other and, and did what needed to be done. But it's good to be together. And so because we're together, we are going to take this opportunity to remind ourselves once again of what God did on the cross through His Son Jesus for us. And so, if you have not already preserved yourself the communion stuff, now would be a great time to get it. We don't have the cool homemade bread that we normally have, but what we do have is a reminder, and I want to pray for the bread that we are about to receive, and that as we pray, that we take this opportunity to lay our sin before our Father, seek forgiveness, and then prepare to remember what He did for us on the cross. So let's pray for the bread. Father, we just thank you for the gift that you gave of your son. We thank you that you came. We even go back and thank you for creating us at all. And in your sovereignty, knowing that we would run from you. And before we were ever made, you knew that there would need to be a sacrifice for sin. And so you sent your son. And Lord, help us to see that body was broken for us on the cross, and that because you died, that we can live. And so let us not forget the great sacrifice you've made for us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. The Bible says, if I receive from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. If you are anything like me, you're figuring out how to use this. I need opposable palms. So let us take this bread-like substance. So let us long for the homemade bread, but at the same time, let us remember that every time you break bread, you think about the sacrifice that he has made for us on the cross, that his body was broken for us. Now, let's pray for the cup. Father, we thank you for this, this juice that represents the blood of Christ, whose blood was spilled so that ours could remain. 
Father, we just pray that you would continue to keep in the forefront of our mind the sacrifice you've made. And, and Lord, help us to even open our eyes and our heart to see you so that we worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord, thank you. The sacrificial system ended with you and that our eternity can be spent with you because of your blood. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. The Bible says, and after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. Until he comes, we have been charged, commanded to continue this. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so, until we see him face to face, we are going to continue to do just this. And so, this is a little interesting, a little weird. But I want to give you an invitation. And I will be up here. And we can social distance if you want to. Or you can text me. You can call me later. But I don't want to, to walk away from this moment without giving you an opportunity to come to Christ. If there's anyone here that, do, that does not know Christ personally, that the sacrifice that he made on the cross has never been claimed by you because you have never given your heart, your life to Christ. I want to urge you to trust Him. And you don't need me for you to trust Christ. But if you, if you do that, if you make that decision now, I would love to know about it. We would be excited to praise the Lord for it. We would be excited to plan your baptism. And so I'm going to hang around the stage. The band is going to come. And you make decisions where you are. You make decisions with me, however God leads you. But let's worship as we do so. Before we go, I just want to thank, I want to thank you guys for being here. Stay tuned. Next week may look a lot like this, but maybe not. So stay tuned, and we'll get the word out what's going on next week. We have, we can't control the weather, but there's other thoughts in our heads too. So the best I can say at this time, just listen up, listen out. But one way or the other, we will see you again next week unless Jesus comes back, and then we'll see you next week. But we won't care as much about you because we'll be with Jesus. So. Thank you, Craig, for the trailer. Thanks, Mike and Corey, for the sound equipment to, to be able to convert to outdoor. And uh, thank you to Eric and um, uh, Jason for setting all this up and making it sound good. Amen. Amen. This is cool. We welcome Mama Taylor back. It's good to see her back. That's right. That is good. 
All right, guys, we are going to pray, and we are just so thankful to see you again, and can't wait to see you again soon. So let's pray together. Lord, you are so good. We thank you that everything that you have said about yourself is true. Every promise you've made is has happened, or we are anticipating that it will. Lord, we thank you for this faith family. Thank you for our love for one another, for the fact that we missed each other so dearly, and we just thank you that this part of this pandemic is over. We pray that you would keep us safe, make us wise, but Lord, I pray that you would not allow us to make our safety the reason for our existence, because worshiping you is the reason for our existence. Lord, help us to not be dumb, but not to lose our focus on you. And we thank you for this. Thank you for being worthy of worship. Thank you for loving us. We pray this in Christ's name.